Good morning, family. I trust you are well and safe on this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us for the Church at Home service today. I know you'll thoroughly enjoy it. As we gather today as a family, let's remember that our Lord God is mighty. His ways are marvelous and glorious. He is the Lord God Almighty, the one who knows all things. He is the creator of the universe, the one who holds the whole world in his hands. As we enter the service this morning, let us remember that we are in the presence of the mighty God of the whole universe, the one who reigns forevermore. I encourage us to engage, to open our hearts to him and to let him do what he wants to do in us. This morning, we will receive the word of God from Pastor Kolo. But before then, Dr. Maguarela will share with us the offering message. Enjoy the service. Greetings, People's Church. Before we go into a time of giving this, a couple of scriptures that I would like for us to look into this morning very familiar scriptures that I find to be both encouraging and challenging. And it's scriptures that we have had recently. The first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting from verse 6. And Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we are food and clothing, with these we will be content. Every time we hear scripture like this, there seems to be a bit of discomfort that lingers in the air. And, and I hope you can sense some of it right now. Because this scripture is challenging and it requires us to have a mindset shift. What we have found is the scriptures, the other challenges that they can be manipulated to, to suit another view. It's, so it's important to, to find out what Paul was saying because it can be twisted to say our aim, our sole aim is food and clothing and nothing else. So let us look at what he's saying and what he is not saying. He starts off by warning Timothy about those who are teaching another doctrine, a doctrine which is bringing conflict into the body of Christ, using their supposed godliness for self-gain. He said this should not be the case. We should not be using our godliness for self-gain. That's when he brings this issue of contentment. Because we might also be tempted to think when things get better, when we feel really blessed, when the job improves or we, when we get a bigger house, that is when maybe we might do better or we might give or just when the blessing has showed he says, you don't understand that you are already blessed. The fact that you have food, the fact that you have a shelter, the fact that you have clothing on your back, 
you feel blessed. You might be complaining about a job, but you have a job. You might be complaining about a house, but you have one. You might be complaining about maybe repeating the same food over and over again, but you have food to eat. That is already a blessing. And the other challenge is that when we get into the mindset of not appreciating where we are, we, we might start, we might, that thinking creates the chasing that blessing mentality. And in the book of Philippians, Paul, Paul uses this word, learned, to show that it is not an automatic thing. As he walked with God, he learned. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, in all of this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As we learned last week, as we come together, everyone has something to contribute. Everyone has something to give because God has already given us gifts. Do not look down on what God has given you and think it's not enough. It is enough for the season where you're in and the place where God has placed you. So as we, have, as we give, just remember, already you are blessed because God knew exactly what this season needed and he has already provided. God bless you as you give. Amen. Good morning, church. It is always good to share the word of God with you. And even better, I get to share it in person as well. We hope that you and your families are still keeping well, that you're still healthy, and that you're still safe. This morning, my main scripture reading will be found in Revelation 4. But before we go any further, let me pray for the word. Heavenly Father, we come before your face this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, Father God, for your word. Thank you so much that you, you're still allowing us to listen to your word, even through this platform, O Heavenly Father. So, Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, that your word may continue to transform us. We pray that your word may continue to change us, that it may continue to speak into our lives, to speak into area into every area of our lives, Father God, that it may continue to speak into different situations that we may find ourselves in, O Heavenly Father. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that may your name be glorified even this morning. I pray for all of this in the mighty living name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as I've already indicated, I'll be reading from Revelation 4. But before I go any further, I would just like to make a disclaimer. You know, that if I keep on saying Revelations know that what I actually mean or what I meant is revelation. I don't know, but somehow I just find myself gravitating towards revelations more than revelation. So if I say revelations, just bear with me what I mean as revelation. Now, let me just share with you a bit, of, a bit on how this sermon came about. It was during our first in-person prayer meeting that happened two weeks back when I was praying you know, God put or rather impressed upon my heart a specific word. And the odd thing in that moment was that this word came in Bedi, right? Don't get me wrong. 
I just personally find it increasingly hard to pray in my mother tongue, although I can speak it, you know, very fluently and very well. And the word that specifically came to me at that moment was omochetwa, and it means you are holy. And I just found myself, you know, spending some time just repeatedly, you know, just declaring how holy God is. And this just resonated with my spirit in ways that I cannot fully articulate. And in that moment, that moment actually gave birth to the sermon. My spirit was so overwhelmed with just how holy God is, you know, that it's something that you cannot wrap around your head. He is just holy, holy, and holy. In that moment, I had a picture of the throne according to how John describes it in, in his vision in the book of Revelation. And this is exactly what I will be sharing with you this morning. Now, before we go any further, I would like to give you a bit of context into the book of Revelation. Although I will just be focusing on chapter four, but I just want to give you, you know, that context, which I believe will help both you and I. So John has a vision, you know, and in this vision, he gets commissioned to write this revelation from Jesus Christ. And when you read um, Revelation chapter one, verse nine, it actually gives us an outline of the whole book of Revelations. And it, in, it captures how the book of Revelations has been divided. And when we read chapter one, verse 19, this is how it reads, it says, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So God commands John to write. Firstly, he commands him to write things that he has seen, you know, which is the vision of Jesus Christ in the midst of the seven lampstands. That's the first thing that he commissions him to write. And we find that in Revelation chapter one. And secondly, he says that he must write things which are, which, which is what is now the present. These are things that are concerning the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And you find this in Revelations chapter two and three. And lastly, this is what he says he says that he must write things that will take place after this you know things that will take place later on and these are events that that happen after the rapture of the church and this includes some of the scenes that we see in revelation 4 and you find all of that from revelation 4 all the way until um chapter 22 this is the things that will take place later on and this morning that is what we will be looking at. But we will specifically be looking at chapter four. And if you continue reading the book of Revelation, it just, you know, gives you a glimpse, you know, of the throne room of heaven. And, you know, it's very specific in terms of the writing that is used. But this morning, we're just going to be focusing on the 11 chapters, on the 11 verses that are found in chapter four. And we are going to read all of it. And this is how it reads, the throne room of heaven. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. 
And he who said there was like a jasper and a sadius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You know, these verses that we just read, they give us a picture, a picture of heaven, a picture of the throne room. And I would like to believe that this is what God wants us to know. And if this is only a glimpse that we will discover, if this is only a glimpse, I guess we will discover more in heaven, but we cannot add and we cannot subtract from it. Everything that God wanted us to know of himself, as Pastor Monty already mentioned last week, it's found in this book. It's found in the Bible. In fact, when you go through Revelation, Revelations 10, you will find that there are things that John actually saw and heard, but he was not permitted to write about. He only wrote about things that he was permitted to write about, which means, you know, these are things that God, I guess, ultimately wanted us to know and find out about while we are here on earth. And with this sermon, or rather with, with this teaching, I pray and I hope that we will be reminded of how holy, of how majestic our Heavenly Father is. And if you do not have a relationship with God, I also pray and I hope that through this you will realize how sovereign God is and that will make you want to have a relationship with such a God that is holy and majestic. Now, the first thing that I would like to talk about this morning is the throne. And I'd just like us to, we, we are going to reread some of the verses that we've already read. Just the two verses in Revelation 4. It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. 
Now, the throne is the center of almost all the activities that happen that are found in the book of Revelations. And the one thing that is clear is that there is a throne in heaven. And another thing that is clear is that there is actually one who sits on that throne. The throne is not empty, but there is a person who sits on that throne. And that person is God. You know, God is the one that sits on that throne. And when you read throughout the Gospels, we also know that Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father. So the throne makes it clear that it makes it clear who is king. It makes it clear who is the ruler. You know, it just generally makes it clear who is in charge. Even here on earth, we know that, you know, the king will sit on the throne. So even in heaven, we are given that picture that there's a throne and that there is one who sits on the throne. And that person is the ruler, is the king, and he is the one in charge. And we see and hear of an imagery of God's throne, you know, together with 24 thrones for the 24 elders, because each one of them is also sitting on the throne. Now, the image of the throne is quite overwhelming for me. And John tells us that, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. This is the kind of image, you know, that he's giving us that all of these all of these things that are happening are actually happening all at once around the throne. And I mean, imagine thunder, imagine lightnings. Those things are actually quite scary here on earth. You know, there are people that I know that are, are, are terrified by lightning and thunder. But John's description somehow just make it sound ever so beautiful ever so peaceful and that's the image of the throne that we have you know god created us in such a way that there has to be a higher being that we exalt something or someone that we believe is higher and greater than everything that exists here on earth and essentially everyone believes in something or everyone believes in something or someone and if god is not on the throne of your life then someone or something will be. It can either be materialistic things, your money, your job, your qualification, you name it. Whatever it is, you will have, you know, a God with a small, a God with a small G or a God with a capital letter G. That rules and reigns in your life. And the question is, which one will it be? Which one rules and reigns in your life right now? Who is your redeemer. You know, Jesus in Luke 16 gives us the parable of the unjust steward. And this is how it reads. You cannot serve two masters at the same time. You will hate one master and love the other. Or you will be loyal to one and not care about the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Jesus here was specifically talking about money. He was specifically, you know, just speaking into money. But the concept and the principle, they actually go deeper than that. We cannot serve God and riches. We cannot serve God and Satan at the same time. We cannot serve God and sin at the same time. The two do not come together. You cannot have two masters at the same time. And at the end of the day, there has to be one king in your life. There has to be one ruler. There has to be only one person who's seated on the throne in your life. And it is very interesting how people who don't believe in God, 
and their reasoning, you know, some of the things that they would say is that I don't want a God telling me what to do. I don't want to believe in the God of the Bible because I want to be free. I want to live my life. I want to enjoy it. But the irony of that is this. When you actually encounter God, when you actually encounter the person of Jesus Christ, what happens is that he liberates you, that he sets you free from every form of bondage. He sets you free from the bondage of sin. So the word of God, the word of God says, whom the son set free is free indeed. Everything else actually puts us in bondage. But when we encounter God, he sets us free. You know, you will have a God in your life. You will exalt something. But the question is, who will it be? And the second thing that I would like to speak about this morning, or rather today, if you're watching during the day, is the holiness of God. You know, when we, we, we continue with, with the rare and powerful glimpse into heaven and the throne room of heaven that John reveals to us. And let us just read from verse 8 of chapter 4. And it reads as follows. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The four living creatures, what we are told is that day and night, they do not rest. They declare how holy God is. And I would like you to have a picture of that. Imagine that. Imagine the living creatures that all they do, you know, day and night is to actually say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All that they ever do is to, to declare how holy, how holy, how holy God is. They don't say it once. They don't say it twice, but they actually say it three times. Now, in the Gospels, we often hear of Jesus, you know, it's almost like he, he wants to add emphasis on something when he says, truly, truly, I tell you. And it is known that Hebrew people, you know, when they want to put emphasis to something, they will repeat it two times. But never do we hear, you know, something like the word love repeated three times where we are told love, 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 or grace, grace, grace. But instead, in this instance, we hear of holy, holy, holy. We hear about this three times. Now, the living creatures could merely have said it three times, or they were identifying with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you know, when they say holy, when they say you are holy, 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 they are declaring that God is separate. They are de declaring that he is, he is distinct. That's what holiness means, that he is separate, that he is set apart, that he is different. You know, when they say you're holy, you're holy, you're holy, they are denoting the excellence, which is altogether peculiar to God alone, you know, the excellence that he does not share with anyone else. You know, they're, they're just declaring the glory flowing, flowing from all his attributes co-joined. They are also declaring that he is the first and the last and the only one and the eternal, living, endless and unchangeable God. 
They are declaring that he is the almighty, omniscient, wise and true, just and faithful, gracious God. And the image we have is that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that compares or can be likened to God or who he is. You know that he has no rival. He has no equal. He stands alone. He is separate. He is utterly holy. And Ezekiel and Isaiah, they also had a, a similar vision of God in the throne room, just like John gives us in Revelations. And, and if you read through Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10, you will find all of that. But today I would just like us to, to just read um, Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 from verse 1 to 3. This is how it reads. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his eyes, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to, to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah also came face to face with the holiness of God. You know, the beauty and the holiness of God became apparent to him. And Isaiah here, he actually goes to the extent of telling us what the six wings on the living creatures are for, you know, which we are not told anything about in Revelations. He says that each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, you know, he flew. And it's just so amazing that we get to see all these different um, visions. But when you put them together, they, they explain one thing, which is the throne room of heaven. So let's continue reading um, Revelation chapter 4, verses 9. All the way down, it reads as follows. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. In this few verses, we are seeing a beautiful image and definition of worship. You know, the 24, old, the 24 elders, we are told that they take off their crowns, meaning that whatever worth they may have had to even wear those crowns when they come before god they realize how unworthy they are they realize that you know they are so unworthy because they have come before or before a god that is worthy so we are told that they take off their crowns we are also told that the 24 elders were not just wearing any other crowns but their crowns were made out of gold you know and i believe that adds a significance you know to to those crowns and they were actually clothed in white and each one of the 24 elders was seated on a throne 
But yet when they come before God, but yet when they come before the master of the universe, of the universe, but yet when they come to the majestic, to the holy God, we are told that they cast their crowns and they fall prostrate before God. They displayed their profound humility, you know, reverence. They, they displayed a godly fear. They gave God the glory and acknowledge that his crown is infinitely more glorious than theirs. They had crowns on, but when they came before God, they realized that their crowns were infinitely more, you know, no, they realized that God's crown was infinitely more glorious than theirs. So that's why we, we hear of them taking them, of stripping themselves of anything and just declaring that you are more worthy. And this tells me that God wants us just as we are. That our qualifications, our wealth, our jobs, our titles, our businesses will not matter before God. That whether you have it or not, when we get to the throne room of heaven, we will just be in awe of this beautiful and majestic God. And it will, it will not matter, you know, what kind of qualification, what kind of things we have. All that we will be aware of is how majestic, beautiful, and holy our God is. And lastly, I would like to just briefly talk about praise and worship because how can I not talk about it? This is something that is so clear when we read Revelations 4 going downwards in revelations after having read all of these it makes me realize more and more of this of this statement theology leads to doxology or or putting it in another way doxology is the goal of theology now don't let the word doxology kind of you know deter you doxology in simple terms just basically means a hymn a form of praise, you know, that glorifies God. And the statement theology leads to doxology simply means that as we study God, that as we study his word, wanting to know him more, that should lead us to a place of worship. You know, that should lead us to a place of glorifying God because that's what it is all about. And I love how R.C. Sproul actually puts it, he puts it this way. He says, theology must always end in doxology, the joyful praise of our creator. Otherwise, we have not truly studied the things of God. How amazing is that? You know, so how amazing is that, that the knowledge of the Lord's character and his work should actually inspire a heartfelt praise in our hearts. It should inspire a heartfelt praise in our lives as well. And what would be the point of me and you learning about God? You know, what would be the point of that if that actually doesn't give us a heart of just worshiping and glorifying him as a creator? What would be the point of, you know, going deep into learning more about God, but not wanting to praise him? Because that's what it's all about. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, it says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. 
One of the primary purposes of creation of us is to bring glory and honor to God. And you know, when studying the word of God, when studying the word of God, it should prompt us, it should prompt me and you into a place of adoration. You know, we must question whether we are more concerned to puff ourselves up with knowledge than, than to glorify God. We must ask ourselves if we actually, you know, want to recite scripture from the, from the top of our heads or if learning about the scriptures, if learning about the word of God is so that we can glorify him. And the word of God in Psalms 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, knowing about the Lord is pointless without worship and praise. After all, you know, the enemy knows far more about God, you know. He knows, he also knows far more about God. And yet this knowledge gives him no benefit at all because he refuses to bow his knees in humble adoration to God. And this is what James has to say about that. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So let us continually ask ourselves whether our study of theology or our study of the word of God is making us more arrogant or eager to pick fights with those less knowledgeable or if it is making us worship the Lord in humility. Now, John continues to say this in the next chapter, in chapter 5 in the book of Revelations. You know, bear in mind that in Psalms 150, we, 150 verse 6, we read that, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And when you go to Revelation 5, you know, it gets into specifics, you know. It gives us the details of what it's referring. It's almost like it gives, it's giving us the details of what it's referring to when we hear the word saying, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And this is how it reads in Revelation 5 verses 11 to 13. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and, and, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, richness, wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Let me just repeat that. You know, it says with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who are slain to receive power. Listen to that, to receive riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamp forever and ever. So everything, literally when it says everything that has breath, praise the Lord. You know, in Revelation 5, John is saying in, in his vision that literally he heard everything, you know, from things that were on earth, you know, from the ones that were in the sea, from from the ones that were in heaven, everything that had breath was literally praising, was literally declaring, was literally, you know, just, just blessing and giving honor and glory to God. 
Now imagine that. For me, these verses are overwhelming. They, because they literally embody an ascription to God and Christ. You know, when, 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 when it talks about blessing, which is worship, when it talks about honor, which is reputation, when it talks about glory, which is praise, when it talks about power, which is omnipotence. And you know, there's just something overwhelming about the presence of God. And, and because it's so overwhelming, it should bring us to our knees. It should bring us to that place where we just want to praise and worship. And you know, the thing about worship is that it is quite profound. Worship is quite profound. The sight of God that you know will actually determine how you worship him, the sight of him. And you know, we always worship out of revelation because revelation is personal. You know, you, you worship out of what God has revealed to you. It is personal to you. That's why, you know, you, you find, you know, people, some people would like to go more into worship. Some would like to go less, but it, it, it comes out of what God has revealed to you. And, you know, there are people that you may look at and you think, you know what, these people maybe are crazy during worship, or you, you may be thinking these people are seeking attention, but it's because they have probably they have probably seen an unusual side of God. And you know what? If you have met him as a deliverer, if you have met him as a healer, if you have met him as a helper, as a redeemer, your worship will embody all of that. And it will not matter who is looking. It will not matter, you know, what kind of a state you find yourself in, but it will embody all of that. And this morning, I would like us, you know, for you to just take some time, maybe after the word, to respond to the word by just taking, you know, just a few minutes of praise and worship to just give God, you know, the praise and the worship and the adoration that he rightfully deserves. And in this moment, we are not asking him for anything. We are simply telling him who he is. We are simply telling him who he is. You know, we, we, are, we are worshiping him for who he is, what we have seen him do and what, what, he has, what we have seen him do and what he continues to do, what he has taken us out of. So this morning I would like us to declare as well that he is holy, 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 that he is majestic, and sovereign, that he is good in all his ways, that he is majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, splendid and majestic in his work, that he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, that he is God three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you know what just the, 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 main, skip, the main scripture reading that we looked into this morning, I just wanted us to remind ourselves, you know, because it is there written in the Bible to remind ourselves of how holy God is. And that that will help us, you know, as we pray, as we, we get into a time of praise and worship, it will help us because then we have that perspective that God is this holy. And even as we come, you know, in his presence, we are constantly, we are aware daily of how holy this God is. And even as we, 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 we are asking, even in our petitions, we are aware that, that he's seated on the throne. 
you know that he is holy that he is bigger than anything else and i believe that when we have that perspective it helps us you know in our times of prayer it helps us as we praise and worship and i would like to end with this few verses in colossians 1 chapter 15 and 18 you know the bible is beautiful just how every word was just put down it's just so beautiful it says he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things in him all things consist and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that that in all things he may have the preeminence and that right there describes Jesus Christ it describes God and i hope this morning that you are encouraged and i hope this morning that you can just go back to that place of worship you know that place of giving praise you know giving adoration giving glory honor to god that he rightfully deserves i pray that you have a, a beautiful day and and that you are blessed as you go into the rest of the week thank you thank you pastor kulu for the wonderful message we are truly grateful to god for his word i sincerely hope that we will allow god to work in us and through us this week. Enjoy your week and we hope to see you again on Sunday. Please keep well, stay safe and have a blessed week. Thank you.